What's going on guys? Welcome to another episode of Eastern Current. I'm going to try to figure out something else to say other than that because I get made fun of because I open every podcast like that. But um, super excited about, I say that every time too, but oh well, I'm going to keep going. I'm really excited about the guest I've got on today. He's one of my best buddies from down in Louisiana. I'm not going to drop his name just yet, uh, but we're going to talk about the myth that's not, that shouldn't be a myth, but Louisiana is a great fishery in the summer and so many people think of it as just a wintertime fishery. Uh, so we're going to dive into that and the opportunities that Louisiana has to offer um, as a summertime fishery and, and go over all, all that with y'all, the different species, the ways to target mm-hmm. them, you know, and, and we'll be talking with a guy that's very knowledgeable of, from the areas from Louisiana. He's not a, not a part-timer like I was, but a full-time fishing guide in Louisiana that can uh, definitely put you on massive redfish, black drum, jacks, all kinds of fun stuff, and lots of topwater fishing. And I hear that the summertime is when the topwater fishing is even better, so I'm uh, excited about that, but before I introduce you to him, I'm going to remind y'all, if you love this podcast and you want some extra content, you can go to our Patreon page. Um, that will be linked here on the on the podcast notes as well as on YouTube on the description. Um, but on that Patreon page, I, uh, I break down each of my guide trips, and so I just talk about what was working for me that day, um, what I was throwing, water conditions, you know, uh, weather conditions and all that, and and I'm also uploading all these, I'm going to start uploading all these podcasts on there before they actually are live um, for, for everyone else. So if you, if you want extra content and access to content early, go check out Patreon. Other thing is go check out the Facebook group, Eastern Current Fishing. Uh, it's just a private community there of listeners so y'all can talk and bounce ideas off each other and hopefully find somebody to go fishing <clears throat> with. But that's enough of me talking. Let me bring on my good friend, Brandon Keck, so we can talk about Louisiana summertime fishing. What's up, Brandon? What's going on, man? Nothing much. We were, uh, before I brought Brandon on, we tried his laptop and then we tried his desktop, but now we've got him on his phone. But this is hands down the best phone video that I've had on a Skype Skype call. So this is, this is like some of the best video I've had from a guest. So this is awesome. Nice, nice. I'm, I'm real high tech over here. So <laughs> You always have been. You've always been so high tech, but I'm um, super stoked to have you on here. I know we talked about this, this, I guess this past late summer about doing like a a podcast late late mm-hmm. spring early summer so it's good to have you on here and um let's just start out with uh just kind of tell people how you got into fishing and um how it's brought you to where mm-hmm. you are today yeah so i um i grew up in north louisiana like in the shreveport area i know a lot of people watching this probably don't know where that's at um it's up in up in god's country uh, <laughs> a lot of bass fishing cat fishing you know brim stuff like that no salt water yeah. Um, so I grew up doing a lot of bass fishing and stuff like that up there. And then after college, which was up there in Ruston, Louisiana Tech, um, after college, I moved here to New Orleans for an engineering job. As soon as I moved here, um, you know, picked up an eight weight and a kayak. And that's kind of how I got started. I just got out there and started banging the slot reds and sight fishing them from a kayak, which is pretty interesting to do, you know, <laughs> try and stand up in the kayak. And um, throw a fly rod. Yeah, uh, only fell out one time, and it actually wasn't while I was fishing. It was while I was peeing. But, um, <laughs> yeah, so it was pretty good, and uh, I just got tired of paddling, you know, pretty quick. And I had met some, some buddies, some guys with some boats, and fished with them a good bit. And then uh, finally decided just to sell the kayaks and buy a skiff. Fished out of it for a number of years, um, and then... You know, doing my engineering job, I was just, uh, I was bored. So I decided to to make a change and I started my guide business. Um, that was five and a half years ago, I think, that I, that I started 
full time. Yep. Um, and I haven't looked back since. You don't so, miss the engineering. Uh, some days, sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know, depends when, on how the fish are cooperating. If the wind's blowing thirty and the water's muddy, uh, and the you know the fish are just down on the bottom, yeah, kind of this job looks pretty nice. But when you get home after the end of the day and and you look back on it, you're like, all right, that was pretty freaking sweet. Even though the fishing sucked, it was sweet. It's a sweet office. Yeah, it's a sweet so. office, man. And Louisiana is just so big. I think the, what I would have struggled with, too, with the kayaks is, like, the fishing right near the boat ramps is great. But the mm-hmm. marsh down there is so big, I would just feel like I was missing out on so much that I could never reach. Um, yeah. So. You, can, you access just such a small, small, any little fraction of a percent of yeah. the marsh. Um but there, there's some different marinas and stuff that you can, you can get to a lot of different areas and stuff. So it was pretty cool. Heck yeah, that's super cool. Uh, yeah, I think the even the, even for the bull reds, you can even get down to like some marinas closer to the Gulf, which is like uh, like Grand Isle down there. Yeah, yeah. Um, you can go, you know, they call it ride the bull, uh, <laughs> basically a sleigh ride. For it, sure, it's, it's fun. Double fisting like two rods hooked up on popping corks, just <laughs> cruising across the top. That'd be fun. <laughs> Oh man. Well, that's, that's cool, man. That's such a cool story. Like so many other people that I've talked to in here, it's like, you know, they got the kayak and they learned how to fish the kayak that not that they outgrew the kayak, but it's like, Oh, I got to see what's out there a little bit further. I want to be able to move from A to B really fast. And, uh, yeah, and, and you're always looking for something more and, yeah. and to get further and to, to find something bigger. And yeah, there's always something else you want to figure out something you want to learn. Yeah, definitely. So, Definitely. I think that's what's cool. That's what's gotten me back into it here. Cause I was like, if I lived in Louisiana, I would be completely entertained with red fish and speckled tr- or yeah, just mostly just red fish and black drum and jacks, like stuff that I could target on the fly rod. Mm-hmm. Um, and here we just don't have that type of fishery that can be that of that consistency. And so I was like really burned out three years in. And then once I started to be like, Oh, let's start, try some other stuff, some bait fishing, some near shore fishing and, and kind of diversifying what I did. It really reopened my eyes to, Oh, it's fun to like try all this different stuff down there. You can try a lot of stuff. that's all, you know, sight fishing up here. It's like, we've got redfish. And if you're not sight fishing redfish, there's really not much other super consistent opportunity. Mm-hmm. So that's what I love about Louisiana is just the, and, and Florida as well as like that. You've just got a, a, a large diversity of fish that are shallow and that you can see in the water. So. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's super cool. So was it fly fishing right off the bat or were you throwing a spinning rod or bait cast or anything first or were you just jumping um, it? It was fly right off the bat. So, um, I mean, as soon as I got here, I I think my first fishing trip was within my first week of getting here. No, so you were and ready I, to go. <laughs> I had met, uh, so I didn't actually have the kayak my, you know, myself at the time, but I did have the eight weight. Um, I had met a guy through a local fishing club here. He had a couple of kayaks and he said, yeah, man, let's, let's get out there. Let's go. And he gave me his least stable kayak, um, (laughs) imaginable. So that was interesting. I didn't do a whole lot of standing that, that day. Um, and I just, a lot of blind casting, you know, or you'd see a tail and cast at them. Um, that was out of, uh, this area known known as Point of Shin, Point of Shin. Point of Shin. Um, it's kind of it's on the west side of the river, kind of toward uh, toward Kokodri, but not quite that far. Okay. Um, cool little area, but just and then not long after that, maybe a month after that, we went and fished uh, Grand Isle a bunch. Uh, went down there for the what they call the tarpon rodeo. We were down there during that. We weren't there for that. Um, 
that's a whole nother that could be a whole nother podcast yeah. itself for that <laughs> topic you can't and, uh, you can't let the when the silver king leaves florida you don't talk about it very much you got to keep it hush hush <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah man so that's that's how i got started and then just um you know started fishing with the other guys in the in the skiffs and um and got my skiff and explored every day that i possibly could yeah. explored every weekend vacation day i got a lot of i used to work for the government so I had a lot of vacation time a lot of sick time nice sick time yeah. i would call sick it time sick. on the water come, come come back with a uh you know raccoon eyes and my boss is wondering why i didn't invite him uh, <laughs> so he's pretty cool that's cool um but yeah man uh just i don't know how many days hundreds of hours i've spent on the water before i ever started guiding it was uh six years worth yeah pretty hardcore fishing before i finally uh started the guide business as soon as you got the skiff were you like okay this is something i could see myself doing i would love to be a fishing guide or did it kind of play into it a little bit later on um absolutely not you know i never really thought that i would ever become a guide i never thought i could um, right. You know, growing up, I kind of always wanted to be some sort of hunting, fishing guide. Uh, I just didn't think it was ever possible, really. Right. I was like, ah, right. oh, that's, you know, you kind of have to be wealthy to get that going or, right. or something, you know, or you want to be secure in your job. And that that's a little scary to, to kind of get into when you don't really know anything about it. Um, so, no, I had my first skiff for uh, maybe four years three or four years before i was like all right i'm tired of this engineering job i'm bored i'm not challenged enough maybe i should look at you know starting a guide business maybe i can do this and i was guiding quote-unquote guiding a lot of friends you know that i I had learned how to pull a boat them not so much (laughs) so i ended up you know basically guiding them uh most of the day and I loved it. It yeah. was a lot of fun. You know, I get to catch my fish. I've caught a lot of fish. I was like, look, I've done this. So right. let's let's get you to do it. For sure. Let me see if I can help you figure it out and help you accomplish that. Um, and I loved it. So I was like, all right, this is this is something I'm going to try. And uh, so I started the business, built a website myself, um, and then had it for six months part-time while I was doing engineering and I told myself that if I wanted to succeed I was gonna have to jump in feet first and just do it so I put in a two-month notice um, for my engineering job got all my stuff in order there got you know transferred the work to different people finished up some work and then just jumped in smooth like you didn't just leave them hanging (laughs) yeah yeah I went outside I didn't want to burn that bridge because that's it's scary you know you're going from a from an engineering job I went through engineering school for and and all it was um pretty cush job into going into business for yourself um in a completely different industry it's it was very scary um and i started it it was i believe uh like a a may 1st um which is kind of the start of the so-called slow season or some people may call it the off season louisiana um which i've learned very quickly after that or, or before that, really, but um, as far as guiding goes, very quickly after that, that is, you can still definitely guide clients in the summertime to big bull reds, jacks, giant black drum, tons of slot fish, slot redfish. Um, I don't really focus on on the speckled trout; it's not really my thing. Yeah, most of our trout are pretty small here, so 
redfish, black drum, jack Cavell, sheep's head, alligator gar, sharks, uh, maybe a silver one that I won't name. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The wizard uh, of the night. A little more rare, but, um, so yeah. And, uh, but the funny thing is that, that, that since I started already in kind of the slower season, it's already a slower season for all the guides here. Yeah. Um, at least more so then than it is now. Uh, I went quite a while without much work at all. So yeah. I burned through my savings real quick. Um, so it was an interesting start. You know, I was scared, but, uh, but I knew I wanted to do it. I knew I had to do whatever it took to right. get it done, to right. do it. So, um, yeah, I made a, made a video not long after that, which a lot of people have, have viewed and seen a couple of videos. It was the best and worst thing I ever did. <laughs> uh, great for business. So um, my business grew very quickly after that. Nice. And then if people want to check that video out, out, how can they, sorry, I interrupt you. If you want to check that out before we forget, how can people, what, what, what do people search and where do they search to find your video? Um, so you can find, I'm pretty sure, I know both of them are on YouTube. Um, one of them is called 29 Degrees NOLA. Uh, and the other one is called Pescadora Nola. Uh, I believe they're on Vimeo as well. Okay. At least, at least the Twenty Nine Degrees Nola is. Both of them are on my homepage, of my website, uh, SouthernFlyExpeditions.com. Um, so you just type that in, scroll down. I think both of them are still there, right on the front page. Yeah. Easy to find. Cool. So. Cool, cool. I mean, that's I hear that. I mean, and you see it so much. Like if you can put out good video content people jump all over it. If you can get it found, that's the big thing. But it's like, yep. it's almost like we've become numb to Instagram pictures. Like at first, if you know, Instagram pictures were so engaging, like somebody holding a big red fish, like, oh my gosh, now people just scroll through bull redfish pictures like it's nothing. It's all the same. Yeah, yeah, it's all the same. And so if you can put out a cool video that's more engaging and, and more interesting, that's huge. And that's in any fishery, man. If you can show it and you can hear it and you can almost freaking smell it, then mm-hmm. then people want to go do it. You know, they, they, they want to they hear that drag and, you know, see the fish and, get lifted out of the water. And I would, I would love to do um, some more video work, something that's not focused on top water. Yeah. Because um, that's all the videos. Because it, it makes for good video. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's visual. But, I, but I would like to show kind of Louisiana, um, you know, a little bit more normal of what it typically is like. Yeah. You know, with a, a redfish cruising a shoreline, and you know, or or his tail might be out of the water, his back might be out of the water. Or, you know, deep water. As yeah. long as the water is relatively clear, it might be kind of hard to see on video, but, you know, to see the actual fish on video, um, if the water is not super clear, because as a lot of people know, our water can get stained yeah. and can stay that <laughs> way for a while, but that doesn't change, uh, that doesn't mean the fishing is going to be bad. Right, right. Um, but yeah, I'd like to do some video work of just kind of showing people what it's typically like and kind of give some instruction maybe and get people more prepared. Um, for a trip here in Louisiana, I just haven't quite had the opportunity to make that video. <laughs> See, I've fished a fraction of the clients that you fish in Louisiana, obviously, because I've been down there for such a short amount of time in the winters. But the amount of people that I had ask, "Can we throw poppers?" You know, yeah. right when they get on the boat is is like almost everybody. So I'm sure you have to answer that question all the time. Oh yeah, when when's best topwater fishing? I'm like, well, when can you get here? Yeah. You know, it's it's all about Mother Nature, really. It really um, is. It can happen any time of the year. Uh, having said that, we do often get a lot of uh, a lot of topwater action in the summer. Yeah, that's bull reds and Jack Cravel. Um, any topwater black be, drum? I'm just kidding. 
Uh, you'd be, I'd be surprised. It has happened. It has happened. Uh, it hasn't happened to me in the summertime um, because they're, you know, they're nose down, they're tailing, they're yeah. in the oyster ponds, stuff like that. In the winter time, though, I have gotten one in top water. Have you really? That's it awesome. was pretty cool. So it was cool. actually a big school of them, kind of out in the middle of nowhere. We ran across, thought it was some redfish. Get over to them. Definitely black drum. Slow cruising. You know, you're cast your your streamer or crab through there and strip it. And most of the time, they're not going to eat it um, unless you're moving it nice and slow for them. Yeah. Uh, but I saw a couple fish coming up and like breaking the surface. I was like, man, it's, it's weird. I don't, I never see black drum do that. So I put on the very, uh, like a really small kind of gurgler. Um, and sure enough, he, he came up and sipped it, slash smashed it. You know, it wasn't like a aggressive bull red hit. It was just like a sloppy bite. <laughs> kind of, yeah. I mean, you can That's tell awesome. that, that they are definitely not designed to do that. No. They're not used to it, but they'll do it. That's crazy. That's I'm glad I asked that question because I would it would have just gone on and no one would know that you could actually maybe catch a black drum on top water. Now, if I said that happened more than once, I'd be lying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for it's, me, at least, you're gonna have like a hundred phone calls. Hey, I want to go for a black drum on top water. <laughs> you're not gonna catch fish for months. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. But uh, when it does happen, it'll be worth it. Well, that's super cool, man. That that's such a. I don't even know what I'm saying. I just, whenever I don't know what I'm about to say, I say that's super cool and then I get myself off track <laughs> like this. But black drum on top water. Um, I think that we were talking about, I guess, you know, a video of showing what it's really like. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, like you said, they eat top water. Those fish eat top water really well. But honestly, the top water bites when it's big schools of fish, like that's super fun. But I feel like myself and a lot of people that are have done a lot of sight fishing or like, a slightly more seasoned angler like they really prefer that like one-on-one subsurface shot i mean a popper is really cool but um you know you got one fish and you've got to make the right cast and trick him to feed the fish and there's so much of that in louisiana um, if you had like the choice of like all right i could go out and throw poppers to floating reds like schools of reds all day or i can go have like 30 shots at singles what would you choose if I if I knew that I could get 30 shots at singles i would go for 30 shots at singles me okay. personally yeah. um, i find it a lot more a lot more fun, a lot more challenging, a lot more entertaining. Um, having said that, if I have a customer, we find a big school bull reds, I'm going to stop. Yeah. We're going to catch some. Uh, if they say, hey, I'd like to get away from the school, I'd like to go get a little more technical, I'm all for it. Yeah. If they want to stay on the schools, whether it's that same school or multiple schools, if we find multiple schools in a day, I'm all for that too. I'm totally okay. up to do that, uh, whether it's poppers, streamers. It doesn't matter to me. Uh, I, I just love it. Yeah. Don't leave fish um, to find fish. It's a good rule of thumb. Exactly. So. And it's one cool thing here is, um, especially in the spring and summer, when you do have those big bull reds cruising the shoreline, oftentimes, very, very often, you can put on a small popper or a you know a decent-sized gurgler and Put, just put it right in front of their face, man. One yeah. little pop, and, and they're going to smash it. That's awesome. You know, they might be in a foot of the water, back out of the water, uh, and still hit a top water. That's so, so sick. It's, it's really cool. A lot of the times you're casting, uh, you see the fish right up against the grass edge, right up against the shoreline. So it's very, you got to be really accurate. You got to get that fly right next to the grass. If you land it in the right place, oftentimes he'll hit it. As soon as it hits the water, you don't need to strip it. Yeah. Um, you know, if you lead them a little bit, you wait till it gets kind of close, and then you give it a little pop, and 
it's it's, game it's almost guaranteed yeah um if they're fired up they're gonna hit it yeah that that's one thing i've noticed about those fish down there is like when they're fired up all you've got to do is show it to them once they see yeah. it it's it's over like they're gonna move and, and and come and eat it and um it's just crazy what those fish will eat i remember one time i brought this rat down there remember that rat that was sitting I remember in the rat. were you on the trip were you on the trip when they caught the fish on the rat with I was Adam. around. I, I mean, I remember talking about it. I didn't ever fish it. I like never even put it on the boat the whole season. And then one day, my roommates, Adam and Alan, I thought you were with them, but I guess not. They took this. It's like a big seven-inch rat, and they were just throwing uh-huh. it, and redfish comes up and eats this massive. I think it's <laughs> yep. savage. No, it's. Uh, you had a duck too, didn't you? I had a duck, yeah. and I never threw that either. I had like a <laughs> sick day of of fish floating and like tons of fish on top water. And I almost brought the duck because it was one of those days where I was like, okay, it's going to happen. And I just was like, yeah, I'll just leave it in the truck. <laughs> and I'm so pissed at myself that I left the duck in the truck. So I've got a, uh, a buddy of mine um, down here, which you you know, you've actually guided him before, Brian Sunday. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he, he, he bought me a lure, a topwater lure, um, and it's it's a turd. It's is it really? like it, it is a brown turd with two treble hooks on it. That's um, awesome. It's, have you, throw, have you caught a fish on it? I haven't thrown it. Uh, I keep forgetting that I have it, and we'll find the fish that are fired up. And I, I'm going to do it someday, but I know he's going. I know they're going to eat it. Yeah. Oh, definitely. We've thrown some random stuff to them, man. And and when they're fired up, they they really go for it. They really so. do. <laughs> we had a day. I'm going to stop talking about myself, but I just wanted to show this one thing. Talking about when they're fired up, we had a day that we hooked someone popping cork, and I think we like taken the hook off, and we were just kind of like teasing them with the popping cork a little bit, and one broke the popping cork off. And it would like float up to the top. And as it was floating up to the top, another one would eat it. And it took like five minutes for it to actually get to the top because fish would kept eating it. And finally it got to the top and was just sitting there like, you know, all still. It was slicked out calm. So it was sitting there all still. And these fish are like swimming up to it and looking at it. And then all of a sudden one just kind of nudged it with his nose and another one just smashed it as soon as it twitched. It was, it was funny. But yeah, yeah they're, when they get fired up, man, they don't care about your boat. They don't care about anything. They're just ready to go. Um, yeah, they're banging against the side of the boat. You freaking drop a fly, you know, just drop it. You don't even throw it. Just drop it sometimes yeah. and they'll eat it. That's, that's when they're really fired up. Though. Yeah, yeah. That's like I wish you got to put normal. in some time fishing down there to see that. Um, yeah. Well, take me through – I meant to ask this earlier, but kind of take me through a summer day. Like you've got good weather. Um, what do you? What is your day going to look like from like leaving the boat ramp to, um, you know, what you're going to be looking for? Yeah, so typically in the summertime, we'll start a little earlier than usual because um, you know, it, gets, it gets hot down here. Very humid, very hot. So we're trying to get our early start, early finish, um, try to beat some of the afternoon thunderstorms, which most likely are going to happen at some point somewhere. Yeah. Um, but we can usually avoid most of that. Um, so, yeah, we're getting on the water typically like, uh, like 6.30 in the morning launching out, making our run, which is, you know, 30, 45 minutes sometimes, uh, depending on where you're going, might even be an hour, hour and a half, uh, but typically in that kind of 40 minute range. Yeah. And we get out there, um, you know, if we got low water, we're going to be, we're going to be cruising the shorelines, looking on those big, big open shorelines. There's going to be some big fish cruising it, um, black drum and redfish, depending on the water clarity or, or quality could be some jack Revelle in the marsh um now do they want a higher salinity like they want good salinity the jacks they'll I, i've seen them in, in pretty darn fresh water but i feel like they definitely like the higher salinity gotcha. water they like the cleaner water for sure 
Um, I've seen them in fresher, muddier water, but uh, the past few years with the whole high river stuff and the spillway being open, that's kind of, you know, you can, you can tell that if, if it affects them. Gotcha. You know, they don't, they don't want to come in when that's going on. Yeah. Um, luckily, I think that we're going to, we're not going to have that this year. I think it's going to turn out to be a good summer. Um, spillways closed. Things are looking good. The lake, nice. uh, Lake Poncha train is cleaning up, which is where the spillway opens, yeah. uh, opens up into. So things are looking good. Things are shaping up. Um, so yeah, is you know, as long as we've got, it doesn't even have to be a super calm day, but if you have a very calm day and relatively low water, good tide movement, it's, it's typically going to be on. Yeah. You're going to have fish tailing around popping the surface you'll have schools of fish out there sometimes you have to run around out open water if you want to find a school um, but they're there the guides that are out there day in and day out kind of know like the spots to really look yeah. and not waste a lot of time just kind of in the middle of nowhere um and uh yeah so that's kind of that's mostly what we're looking for we look hunt the shorelines and if it's calm enough we'll be running out in open water looking for those big schools Heck yeah tell people that might not have been to Louisiana, what a school of fish could be. Cause like, you know, some places a big school of fish is like 15 fish, 20 fish. Like what are some of your yeah, summer, so summer school sizes? Sometimes. How big is know, the class? If you will. You're, you're <laughs> sometimes you're out there and you find five, uh-huh. five fish. They're all typically going to be anywhere from 15 to 30 pounds, 35 being definitely very large. Yeah. Uh, averages, you know, 20, 20, 25 pounds. That's kind of an average school and fish in the summertime. Um, it could be a couple of hundred fish. Yeah. And there have been times where I've found schools, you know, 10,000 maybe. Yeah. Uh, it's awesome. kind of hard to judge at that point. It's kind of a, you just see this giant raft of fish that, I mean, it kind of disappears into the distance. You, you can't really tell how far it goes. And then once you get up to them, you can see that it's redfish on top of redfish on top of redfish. So there's layers of them. They're not all on the surface. There's layers of them. Yeah. Um, and I mean, you could, at that point, when you find something like that, you could tear your sleeve off your shirt, put it on the hook, and catch redfish. Yeah. Like it's crazy. Um, kind of what you were saying about the the, um, the popping cork. Let's say I've got some spin anglers. Most of the time, I'm not throwing a popping cork, but sometimes we will. Yeah. Um, a lot of times we'll break off a lot of fish in a school because the first one will hit the lure that's dangling underneath the popping cork. And then the other one, another one will come up and hit the popping cork and they'll swim in opposite directions. So then it snaps, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's pretty cool. It's like sometimes we'll, you know, have to tie on like 80 pound test uh, just to try and keep them from, from popping off when they do that. Yeah. And then eventually the, the one holding the cork will let go or break the cork you'll get it back and there'll be chunks taken out or teeth marks scraped down the side of it. Um, and, and the jacks do the same thing. Yeah. And oftentimes where you find big schools of reds, the jacks are there too, or vice versa. If you find a school of jacks, there's typically going to be some reds mixed in. Yeah. They really are um, one of the same fish there. Like, you know, at the right time of year, it seems like. They, they do a lot of the same stuff. Uh, they kind of hunt in a lot of the same areas and they'll eat all the same stuff eat everything i mean they just eat everything um jacks are a lot faster oh, yeah. so when you find a school of jacks they're going to be moving way faster than a school of redfish would so let's say if you're trying to chase down the school of jacks 
and you see some redfish in there, you're going to have to be really fast if you want to target that specific redfish. When there's jacks around, I don't know why you would want to target that specific redfish right. because, I mean, jacks, we call them Cajun T- GTs, you know, giant trevally. They're very, very similar. Um, so I'm all about it. Some some customers don't want to don't want to catch them. I think it's probably because it wears them out too fast. God, they're so uh, strong. Yeah, they they big redfish fight really hard. A big jack of a similar size, it's going to test you. It's yeah. going to test your your willpower, your equipment, um, more so than the redfish will. Yeah, I feel like the majority of the rods I had broken in Louisiana were because of jacks. Mm-hmm. And they make those sharp turns too. Like even when you have them close to the boat, so they'll be like kind of pulling away and then turn and just swim right under your boat real fast. And it's like yep. right on the gun, all just rod broken. Um, yeah. But yeah, those I would just man, I could just target the jacks down there. They're so much fun. Those bites are we, so aggressive. You don't even like you're like you're saying you throw to a redfish. You might not even have a clue that there's a jack around, and you have like this perfect cast to a redfish, and then whoop, jack just flies through sure, and, all of a sudden, and takes yeah. him. Yeah. That's sweet. We we've been doing a, a good good bit of that lately nice um yeah when the weather's when the wind's been calm uh we've been really able to get out and find those fish uh those jacks there's been some reds mixed in with them but mostly jacks right now yeah um so it's been a blast Uh, i actually had a trip uh luckily i mean i've had so many cancellations i had i had some work uh this past week and got out and find some found some uh black drum to start with the wind was kind of up so we we didn't want to run around and look for the schools so we caught a monster bike drum like 40 something pounds we we didn't weigh it but we know it was over 40 and uh that was on a nine weight uh, i totally forgot my 10 weight at home or in the boat shed so i was on a nine weight and then uh broke the fly line after we landed the fish which the fly line broke um so then we were left with an eight weight and <laughs> eight weight in the in spring summer is it's very small for for the fish that we're looking for if we're on the outside yeah um you know the water temps up you want to fight it as hard as you can as fast as you can get it in revive it um oftentimes revive it before you even pull it out for for a picture but anyway so then the one the wind calmed down we got out there uh, a little further and found some jacks of course all we had was an eight weight which is way too small typically but you can't not throw um, it you can't not throw it you have to you <laughs> have to try and, and you know and if if the fight starts to get too long then you just you pop them off yeah you lose the fly that's fine you don't want to kill the fish right, right um but with a little coaching from from a guide a little coaching you learn how to fight a bigger fish on a smaller rod and uh and it's all about angles yeah you know you don't if you're trying to fight it like a trout and right you know tip up high you're never going to get that fish in and you're probably going to kill it. So you'll probably uh, break we got your it rod. done and probably break your rod. Yeah. So we caught actually multiple fish, multiple big jacks, all over 20 pounds on an eight weight in deep, relatively deep water. Wow. Which is significantly harder yeah. than shallower water because they'll dive and, uh, they're just really strong when they get down deep like that. Yeah. When they get on their sides, man, that is just mm-hmm. tough to pull up on. Um, yeah. While I'm thinking about it, when you're talking about reviving the fish, it reminded me of the net that you have, like that the musky net. Talk a little bit about the importance of keeping a larger fish like that in the water and using that type of net to land a fish. You know, if you are going to be targeting larger fish. Yeah, so um, I've actually kind of changed my my tactic on that uh, the past couple of years too. Uh, I do still have the musky net. Uh-huh. It's it's a I don't know if a lot of people on here watching this would will know what a, a musky cradle is. Yeah, it's basically just. Uh, 
you can Google it, but it's called a musky cradle. Um, and it's where you can get the fish in there horizontally. And, you know, he's not like face down and wrapped up in net or whatever. It's horizontal. It's great for, for musky, alligator, gar, and pretty much any other fish like, um, like a redfish. Yeah. So, um, right now I've been using like a collapsible fray bill net, uh-huh. a very large one, heavy duty. If we get, you know, multiple fish, it's, it's good to have that musky cradle because you can get that fish in the cradle, hold him in the water, keep him in the water, upright, you know, he's not on his side or on his belly, upright, you're holding him, letting him breeze, you know, let's say two fish are in there, it's big enough, and, and revive them. Let them kind of get their energy back and they're trying to really kick away from you at this point. That's when it's okay if you want to take it out of the water to take a picture, that's when we'll do it. Um, so we'll take it out, we'll try and be as quick as we can, I'll you know, get everybody set up, sitting where you need to be for the, you know, the typical grip and grin, or if they say they want a different kind of photo, we'll set it up on the camera ready, get it done real quick, get it back in the water and let it swim away. Yeah. Um, and, and that goes for jacks as well. Uh, same thing. The warmer the water temps, the more important that is, you know, yeah. keep them in the water, get them revived, fight them as hard as you can as fast as you can if he breaks off he breaks off it's better than than killing him um so if you're fighting for fighting a fish for 20 minutes in the summertime when that water temp is in the upper 80 sometimes even 90 degrees uh you're you're doing it wrong you know you definitely need to listen to your guide you know let him show you the angles that you need to fight that fish with and get it in as quick as you can for sure i think that someone explained it to me one time i can't remember who it was it could have been you but it was like a fish imagine imagine someone or imagine you ran a marathon and then as soon as you got done someone just put your face underwater for yep two minutes you know that's what we're doing to these fish fighting them fighting them fighting them hot water temp and then you pull them out of the water and they can't breathe for you know yeah. however long it takes you to take your picture so it is so important i'm glad you said that and i always like to touch on stuff like this is it's so important to revive the fish before you pull them out of the water for the picture now, when you're catching smaller fish, it's not as big of a deal per se because, like, like we're, you were saying, you beat them so quick, you get into the boat in like you know 15 seconds, then you pop them out, grab a quick picture, put them back in the water. But a big yeah. fish that's going to play you and fight really hard and for a long time, I mean, it's it's so important. I mean, it's just good practice no matter what size the fish is. Revive it before you take the picture, then revive mm-hmm. it again, and then let it go. Um, because- yeah, and we still practice that um, to an extent with the smaller, like the slot fish as well. Yeah. Um, just kind of depends on how long the, the fight ended up being or a lot of times we're fishing in, in an area that has a lot of aquatic grass um, like really slimy gunky stuff and the fish will get all wrapped up in it he's got grass just kind of all over his face he can't breathe at that right. point so you get him up there get the grass off you know while he's in the water try to get all that grass off revive him then pull him out um, yeah so even with the even with the you know a a 16-inch fish. If he does that, I'm going to make sure that that fish gets that oxygen going, breaks up the lactic acid and everything before I ever even pull him out of the water. Yeah, that's huge. Um, tell me a little bit about, you know, what you look for to target those smaller fish in the in the summer. Because I've never done it, but what I, where I hear you're kind of fishing, you get to do a little bit of that when I've been down there in the winter. You're, are you still targeting in those duck ponds in the grass and whatnot? Like you're saying? Yeah, a lot of the time. Because that's um, to me is like super fun when you see them sliding over the grass and hanging out in these little shallow ponds. But go into that a little bit because that's going to that's yeah, gonna make so, me drive down uh, right <laughs> that kind of That can kind of happen really any time of the year. Uh-huh. Um, but 
mostly when I focus on that kind of fishing, that, that area, that style of fishing is typically spring, like April, May. Um, so that's when I focus on that the most. You definitely can do it all throughout summer, spring, fall, whatever. September is another great month. So April, May, and September are kind of my prime months for that interior marsh, those grassy duck ponds, yeah. things like that. Um, the fish, the, the water there, that's kind of the main reason why we go there. It's because the grass helps filter out the water, keeps the sediment down. The wind doesn't have as much effect, doesn't muddy it up as much. So it could be very, very clear water on the interior marsh, whereas the exterior marsh might be chocolate milk. Yeah. You know, coffee with a lot of creamer. Um, so if you want to do some serious sight fishing and we haven't been getting on much tailing action on the outside, we'll go to the inside and we'll find those goldfish basically god Koi. they're so they're so they're gold <laughs> super golden like copper colored um can be a little tricky depending on the light you know they'll their backs are so dark and the bottom is so dark they can blend in really well if they're kind of facing at you or facing away from yeah. you at that point you're not even really seeing the fish like the sides the scales or anything you're seeing their fins their peck fins yeah. it looks like like uh, a guy here said look for the dorito chip they look for the Dorito <laughs> chips swimming through the water. They look like Dorito chips. They yeah. really do. Um, so sometimes you'll pick out those peck fins before you ever even see the fish, like yeah. the whole the whole shape of the fish. Um, so it's really cool that way. And then we definitely get on the outside marsh, the exterior marsh, which is where the big fish live. But there's smaller fish out there too. And you can get into some really shallow areas, sometimes oysters, sand, depending on where you're at. Not a whole lot of sand in Louisiana, but there are some spots <laughs> And those smaller fish love to get in there, and, and they're a, a blast to target all, you know, all throughout the year, um, whether it's summer, fall, winter, it doesn't matter. And, uh, and they'll eat the big, the big bull red flies too, like a big five, six inch long bull <laughs> redfish fly, five-aught hook. You know, sometimes you're throwing like a big five-aught jig hook if you think that, oh, there might be some jacks around too. Those little those little reds, they're gonna smash it too. Yeah, they do. Golly. So it kind of opens up your options a bit. I'm gonna have to get back down there this sometime in the next year to fish. It's been it's been a over I guess it's been like two years almost. Well, this winter will be two years since I've been down there, and it's uh this is not a good podcast for me to do because I'm like just sitting here thinking like I know I've got <laughs> a kid to do like any day, but I need to get down there like <laughs> as, as soon as possible. Um, yeah. Yeah. Some of my favorite fishing down there has been when. You're like, all right, let's screw the big fish, or it's dirty, or for some reason you're like not all like you just get so wrapped up sometimes. Of like I've got to catch big redfish. I'm in Louisiana; it's mm-hmm. got to be big fish, and you slide into one of those shallow ponds, even out on the outside, like you're saying. And like I love those, like, and I, I'm talking, I know such a fraction of what you know, but I'm just sharing my stories. But um, slide into like one of those ponds when the tide's low, oysters in there, and you just look around. And there's like backs everywhere, just mm-hmm. cruising around on the banks. If we could yep. just have a fraction of that here in North Carolina, which we could <laughs> if we got our stuff straight, man. Like if we got gillnets out of the water and, you know, conservation was what everyone wanted, you know, to, to get these fish back and to a healthy stock level. And mm-hmm. uh, we could see that. We've got incre- – like the Pamlico Sound is so much like Louisiana in so many ways. And we've got such good, clean water. Like I always tell people here, like in Louisiana, you, you know better than me, but I'm going to just throw a percentage Let's say 95% of the fish live in 55 to 65% of the water. Would that seem like a, 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 a fair? Oh, I would I would say even much lower percentage, but. Oh, a lower percentage? Okay, so for me though, Probably. North Carolina, it seems like 95% of the fish live in like 
98% of the water. There's, yeah. That's kind yeah, of how it feels. Like there, if it looks fishy, there's probably a good chance there's fish there. Or they use Typically, it at some yeah. point. Yeah. But we have so much more water than yeah. you guys do. So we that's definitely a benefit that we have. Um, so I guess that's maybe where my percentage yeah, <laughs> kind of changes. But, uh, but yeah, y- y'all definitely have some challenges there in, in North Carolina to tackle, just as, as we do here. Not not gill netting, but we have our own our own things to, yeah. to tackle. So it's uh, yeah, there's there's so many things, and if you like, that's one thing I always urge people in this podcast. <clears throat> like, if you whatever fishery you're in, you know, reach out to local captains or local um, you know people that you know that fish a lot or tackle shops, and ask like, hey, how can I get involved to help with conservation of our redfish, trout, flounder, speckled trout, black drum, like all the the game fish if you will because um, every state every fishery needs our help like these fish don't have a voice for themselves we've got to be the voice as a recreational angler especially as as a catch and release angler or or you know like a, someone that's more about you know the fishing than the keeping of the fish yeah um nothing not that there's anything wrong with keeping fish we just have to be the voice is what i'm getting to mm. i can keep rambling and rambling they are they are tasty they're very tasty. Adam Adam can make a darn good redfish taco. I've missed those redfish yeah. tacos, man. Um, but uh, have you ever listened to the podcast we did with Adam? I did. It was hilarious. Dude, I need to go back and listen to that. That was, that was funny. If y'all have never listened to the, the podcast I did with Adam and Alan about Louisiana redfishing, it wasn't even about Louisiana redfishing. It was just about Adam DeBruin guide stories. Um, y'all should go check it out because it is – it is very funny. Y'all touched on Louisiana quite a bit. It, it, it was a good one, though. It was, it was very good. good. Okay. And then, All and I can Adam's, remember is the pooping uh, stories. Yeah, Adam's pooping story. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it, was, it was hilarious. Um, well, cool. Well, let's talk a little bit. We're it's, it's crazy. We're at 41 minutes already, but I want to talk a little bit about uh, tackle. So what you like mm-hmm. to throw. Let's first go over the fly. Like just, I know we've already talked a little bit about the rod and reel size, but start with that talk about and then go into like you know what you like to throw fly wise hook wise it doesn't have to be super in depth but just to give a little bit of an example yeah i'm glad you said it doesn't have to be super in depth because it's not <laughs> that's <laughs> it's good. pretty darn simple um you're, you're not know, like I, throwing I, a huge tapered leader <laughs> uh you don't kidding. have to no um i do make my own leaders uh it's very simple like yeah. start with a piece of 50 pound 40 pound 30 pound gotcha Sometimes I'll go down to 20 pounds. Just kind of depends. Uh, we can get away with with 20 or heavier most of the time. Um, and then for the flies, you know, a lot of times I'm throwing typically three to six inches. It's kind of my size range of fly that I'm yeah. go like that, like 12 inches. But anyway, um, I typically flies. don't like to go much bigger than six inches simply because it's it's just unnecessary. A lot of people have trouble casting it. Um, there are benefits of throwing some very, very large flies for sure. Um, but most of the time it's not needed. Um, so most of my flies are typically like five, four and a half, five inches long, like a streamer style kind of fly. Mm -hmm. Um, and it can imitate a shrimp. It can imitate a bait fish. Uh, it just kind of depends on how you work it. Um, color doesn't really matter a whole lot as long as the fish can see it. You know, if you're throwing a, a fly that's the same color as the water like if it's muddy and you're throwing a it looks exactly like the water it's probably not a good idea yeah. um you know muddy water typically you throw black purple things like that chartreuse can work even white in muddy water can be great um so you're telling me it's 99 percent presentation 
99.9. Yeah, 99.9. <laughs> exactly. Uh, four redfish, black drum, Jack Ravel. Sheep's head, a little different story, a um, little more challenging. Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll change up my flies. If we're specifically targeting sheep's head, I'll definitely change my fly. I won't be throwing a big streamer. I've had them eat the big streamer for sure, um, but it's much more rare. Much yeah. doesn't happen very often. So, yeah. Um, what are you fishing? Usually a little crabbier or shrimpier, small things? For, for the sheep's head? For sheep's head, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Basically, um, any kind of small crab, shrimp, heavy. Yeah. Something's going to sink fast typically. Uh, you know, a lot of people think of like permit flies. You yeah. can use permit flies, they love that kind of stuff. Um, flies with a lot of movement. You, know, you got some little silly legs or some craft fur or rabbit strip or something that's got some movement. I think that helps a little bit. Yeah. Um, but you want to typically want to get it to the bottom and, and you want to show it to them pretty quick, but you can't bonk them on the head. You bonk it right in front of their face. Most of the time they're going to spook. Yeah. Um, having said that we have bonked some sheep's head right, you know, not on top of them, but right in front of their face with a very large redfish fly. And they just pounced on it like a, like a redfish that hadn't eaten in six months. I mean, it's, <laughs> you, you never really, it kind of blows your mind. You're like, all right, I've casted out a hundred of these fish and then I, and none of them ate. And then this one pounces on it as soon as it hits the water and it's a giant fly. It's a, we caught one on a five watt jig hook, big oh streamer, uh, last week, I believe. <laughs> I actually just, I posted the picture on Instagram a couple of days ago. I think. Right on. Yeah. If y'all want to see yeah. that, I've got, I got your Instagram on here, but if you're listening, it's Southern fly expeditions or Southern underscore fly underscore expeditions. Go check that out. Um, but yeah, all right. I I don't want to talk about sheep's anymore because I've just realized I want to do uh, like a short podcast just on sheep's head fishing with a fly rod with you okay. as a separate podcast. So no more sheep's head talk. <laughs> You're going to have to wait for that another, other one to come out. I was like, dang, that's a whole perfect thing to touch on that people will love. But It's definitely going to be a very short one because it kind of sums up this, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Sometimes you just don't know. Well, we can yeah. geek out yeah, about presentation cool. and silly legs oh, yeah. and eye weight and all that kind of stuff. So. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, well, cool. Well, yeah, so what, what was the, oh, we were talking about presentation. So, with, yeah, with redfish, black drum, all that, it's 99% presentation. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, and, and some different presentations, yeah. uh, you know, for like redfish versus black drum or redfish act in a certain way. Um, you know, if they're cruising real fast or if they're kind of tailing down, cruising the shoreline real slow, yeah, you, you, you definitely want to treat it a little differently um, for the most part. But like you mentioned earlier, show them the fly. Yeah. That's the number one goal, show them the fly. If I have a cast, a, an angler that's just not quite getting it close enough, you know, he'll land on his tail and I'll say he doesn't eat with his butt. He'll <laughs> land three feet out in front of him sometimes that's that's not even nowhere near close enough yeah. if the water's muddy and you're three feet away from them pick it up and recast yeah show them the fly as quick as you possibly can um and you don't want to you don't want to strip it too fast you know depending on the water clarity of course uh that changes but let's just assume there's a little bit of a stain to the water yep. you want that fly to kind of bounce on his nose you want it to go boop, just like that and that's where he's going to eat it if you if it goes like that, if you're stripping like you're fishing for GTs, you're going too fast. Yeah, um, it can happen. They they can eat it. They might charge it like a like a jack or a GT or whatever. Um, but odds are, they're just gonna they're gonna let it go. 
Yeah. You know, they're, they're lazy. There's so much food here. There's so much bait. It's unbelievable how much bait we have in the marsh. Make it easy for them. Yeah, definitely. Like, don't, you know, you don't, don't make them run a marathon to eat a cheeseburger. You know what I mean? <laughs> like nobody's going to say, all right, I'll give you this, this, uh, junior cheeseburger. If you run 13 miles, no, they're not going to like, screw that. I'll get something else over here. <laughs> That's so true. It's uh, the one, the two things that I always share is it's like match their pace and let them feel like they found it. That's like with any fish. If you force exactly. it on them too hard, you're going to spook them or they're not going to want it or, you know, it's so unnatural. And then kind of like if they're, if they're just bulldog and bulldozing down a bank, that's when you can quick strip, you know, or, or yeah. pop or work your jig fast. But a lot of times just kind of matching the speed they're going and um, that seems to be the best, best for any fish you're sight fishing, whether it's a bass or a, or a GT. Um, and sometimes they're fired up enough that as soon as it lands on their nose, they just suck it in immediately. Yeah, Cause that's like, kind of what, that's what shrimp are doing. Like let's say, you know, it's spring, summer, there's a lot of shrimp in the marsh and you land that fly right there on his nose to him. That's, there's a shrimp that spooked cause he felt the fish coming, spooked, yeah. jumps out of the water and lands. Well, I mean, that's exactly what shrimp do. Yeah. So that's when the fish is going to eat it. That it's, he thinks that that's natural. You know, he's like, Oh yeah, it's a shrimp. There's no question about it. Right. Right. Yeah. It's... Uh, some people say, you know, I like to joke about it sometimes uh, when they hit it, right. When it hits the water for throwing like a crab fly, I'm like, Oh look, crab falling from the sky <laughs> and he eats it. But it's it all happens so fast. He doesn't know if it's a crab, a shrimp, a bait fish, a, you know, a mullet. He doesn't care. That's what he's waiting for. Something to just pop, you that's, know, off his nose that he can get to really quickly. Yeah. That's gotcha. what he's looking gotcha. for. That's what he wants. Yeah. That's, uh, th- that's always so fun. I don't care where you are when a redfish, like they'll eat it so quick like that. Like when they're, you know, keeping on shrimp that you don't even mm-hmm. really realize he ate it. It's like the fly just landed or though yep. it'll be that eat where like you think he spooked, but he actually just ate it and took off and like you're, <laughs> You're like, oh, dang, I spooked him. And then you realize you're like hooked to the fish. Yeah, it's in his mouth. Yeah. <laughs> it's in his mouth. And, and so uh, it's since you mentioned that, uh, you know, that's kind of a challenge. Uh, when I first started guiding, that was something I had to kind of get used to. You know, people make that perfect cast and the fish eat so fast. You're kind of inclined to just start screaming out like set, set, set. But it all happens so fast and, and the angler is not really kind of mentally set for it. So yeah. he trout sets, yeah. he, you know, he yanks up every time. So I kind of learned that you, you can't yell out set. You tell him to strip, Yeah. Sh- big strip, strip hard. You know, he thinks he's stripping to get the fish to eat the fly. Right, right. But you kind of have to mentally trick him into thinking that, you know, but it's already in the mouth, in, in the fish's mouth. So he just, you need to get him to strip hard. That sets the hook and, and it's done, done deal. And then it's a, it's a fight. That's um, that's clutch right there because I make the mistake of oh we ate it like I say it so often with a surprise still, in my voice do. and it does it gets the trout set or it just gets a bad strip set but just be like I like that just strip 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 like and I think I, I do that sometimes like just by accident but not purposely trying to make myself say all right long strip hard strip you know like trying to yeah. really get them to to bury that hook I still do it I I'm, I kind of mix it up uh, not on purpose like sometimes I'm excited and I eat it set yeah um, <laughs> you're like what. But- Hands yeah. flying everywhere, <laughs> and and sometimes sometimes the, the lift in the rod works. Yeah. If you can get a nice tug and a lift at the same time, it can work. I highly recommend not doing that. Yeah, <laughs> I recommend rod tip down. You know, you make your cast. Rod tip should go to the water. Yeah, and strip, 
trips up. Definitely. Um, well, my I'm going to keep the camera on you here. My, my camera just died on me. Um, but I do want to see if there's anything else that you want to talk about for summer fishing before we close this thing out. Um, um, yeah, I mean, other than the fact that it's still pretty um, – it's not really known, I yeah. think, to a lot of people out there. They don't really know, hey, summertime can still be really good in, in Louisiana – you know, they're kind of stuck on that fall winter. So I'm getting calls all the time. Like, Oh, I want to fish in November, October, or December or whatever. Like, sorry, man, that's, that's booked. Yeah. But I've got a ton of stuff open in summer because a lot of people don't know about it yet. Yeah. And it typically books up a little more last minute. Um, we do get a lot of bookings in the summer, uh, just not nowhere near the number of calls that in we get winter. from fall and winter. Yeah. This summer, um, as of right now is much, much more different than a typical summer because of the, you know, all that's going on right now. So a lot of, a lot of trips were canceled. Um, a lot of the calls that normally would be coming aren't coming. So if you're looking to get out in Louisiana, do some red fishing, break out from your whole, you know, sitting on the couch and you're watching half of Netflix. I'm sure I've watched half of Netflix. (laughs) Give us a call. I mean, there's a lot of guides down here. Um, I say a lot. I mean, not like fall and winter, but, uh, there's there's a good number of guides here in the spring and summer they'd love to take you out uh fishing's great each day is a little different there's always something different to figure out um so if you want to get down here and do it just just give one of us a call uh, you know obviously call me go to my website definitely call brandon if you want to have there's... a great time call brandon for a good time <laughs> But but yeah, seriously guys, like if y'all, and I think this is a great year for people to go explore Louisiana as a fishery in the summer because people aren't wanting to travel internationally. These people that are usually doing these big trips in the summer to Alaska, you know, to the Seychelles, to all these other places, Mm -hmm. like take advantage of this summer, you know, be safer, drive to Louisiana and go try out Louisiana in the summertime. You might realize, Hey, I don't need to pay $15,000 to go catch a GT. I can go catch 30 pound Jack in Louisiana for way less. So. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, you know a lot of people they don't really care to stay in the city. They're like they just want to come for the fishing. There's there are options of, yeah. of places you can stay. Uh, we got different lodging options. The Rat Shack DIY kind it's probably of, open. You got the <laughs> the Rat Shack. Uh, I don't have the number to share right now, but um, there's some other like Airbnbs and different trailers and different uh, lodges. And yeah. if you want to go kind of a little more on the high end side, we got the Dogwood Lodge down here cook for you clean for you they do everything for you You basically step off of the lodge onto the skiff and you roll and you take off yeah that's the setup um, and if for y'all, those of y'all that don't know it's a houseboat on the water beside the boat ramp that you can stay in yeah <laughs> it's awesome yeah but yeah they don't, please. They don't take it out into the marsh um it stays right there but it's it's still really cool yeah. versus staying in the city you know you you get to see that that summertime sunrise and sunset and uh all the boats going by and stuff um and it's just super easy. It's open bar, you know. You get you open get back. bar for your guides too. <laughs> yeah, we, we try to we try to limit it uh, a little bit. We don't want to drink too much of their stuff. But uh, yeah, in the summertime, let's say you get back and you're you're sweating your ass off because it's hot, it's humid. Um, you get back. I mean, you immediately got more ice than you would ever need. Cold drinks, beer, wine, whiskey, rum, whatever you want. Yeah, it's all there. You got appetizers waiting on you, um, and you just hang out there in the in the lounge area and relax, and then 
eat dinner, do it all over again the next day. I love it, man. God, I freaking miss Louisiana. <laughs> One of these days I'll get back down there. Um, but cool, man. Well, yeah, definitely check out Brandon, um, Southern Fly Expeditions. Check out his videos, um, incredible videos, 29 Degrees NOLA and El Pescador. Pes- Pescador Nola. Pe- Pescador Nola. Okay. El Pescador. That's something else. But <laughs> I-, I believe it stands for uh, like female angler, woman angler. Oh, right on. Is that the sure one with Meredith? It is. Oh, Meredith sweet. McCord. With Meredith McCord. Awesome. Yeah, we yeah. did a podcast with her too. Um, but yeah, definitely check out those videos and uh, and give Brandon a call. But man, thank you so much for coming on. And, yeah, man. Uh, thanks and for having me. the podcast for sure. Well, guys, I'm going to close it out here. Thanks so much for listening to another Eastern Current podcast. Uh, keep on checking them out we're gonna do i'm gonna start to do a lot more fly fishing stuff i was nervous to do the fly fishing you know super focused shows at first because you know i wanted to reach out to every angler but i just get so many people asking about fly fishing that it is uh it's something and it's my favorite thing to do so we're gonna do some more fly fishing shows and be on the lookout for um the sheep's head podcast coming out soon with brandon i'm gonna try to record that that sometime soon but uh, thanks again, man, and uh, I will. I'll talk to you soon, and we will uh, actually stay on here because when we hop off, we can keep talking. But uh, thanks for listening to the podcast. Later, y'all.